The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Do you want Jesus to come and heal your soul? Is your heart sore? Are you discouraged? Are you having a difficult time? Jesus is the healer of our soul. He is the only one who can come and pour in the oil and the wine and heal our soul. He also comes and heals our bodies. By his stripes we are healed. Emotionally, physically, intellectually, he is the healer of our soul. But there is a great problem we face. Jesus will not come and heal our hearts so long as we grumble against him. Grumbling is the great sin of God's people. Grumbling always shows that there is a demonic presence touching and affecting a person's life, causing them to be dissatisfied, causing them to be unhappy, causing them to be a victim, causing them to be depressed and discouraged, Grumbling. Enemy number one of having our hearts healed before Jesus. I was proud of one of our leaders as he was speaking with one of the men at the church. And this man began to express his discontent to identify all of his issues. And this dear brother said to him, My brother, dead men have no issues. Dead men have no issues. We are called to die out in Jesus Christ, not to grumble. When we have issues, we're grumbling. We don't like how we're being treated by God. We don't like how we're being treated by the world, by our husband, by our wife. We're grumbling. 
and in our spirit is a a spirit of anger and bitterness why am i being treated this way i don't deserve this i deserve better than this please may i tell you the truth with kindness and with love you don't deserve any good gift from god you don't deserve any good gifts from god he doesn't owe us anything he did not owe to us dying on the cross he did not owe to us opening the door of salvation he did not owe to us anything except judgment and destruction and death for that is what we had earned before a holy and just God by our wickedness and our sin. God doesn't owe us anything. So everything that God has given to us, including the discipline, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, Everything that God gives to us is a wonderful gift from the hand of God. Grumbling is when we are unhappy with the gifts of God or we think we're being treated unfairly and our hearts rise up in rebellion and we say, how can God treat me this way? Why is this happening to me? I didn't deserve this. And our hearts can rise up and grumble against a boss, against a co-worker, against our children. I've heard people say, my kids are just bad kids. And you yell at them and you scream at them. It's not a child problem, it's your problem. You're the one out of control. You're the one who is not properly disciplining them. And so they act like little hellions because you have not had the courage to take a stand for righteousness in their lives. We're not called to keep our children happy. We're called to keep them holy. And if they're holy, they'll be happy. Do you understand that when a child is born, they are born full of sin? And that little child has to have that sin dealt with, with kindness and respect, but with a very firm hand and with discipline, with painful discipline, to turn that, heart's child, that child's heart toward Jesus. And you're in the place of Jesus in their life. And if you don't discipline them and you just jerk them around and yell and scream at them, you're acting like the devil. And the kids will respond in a like manner. They'll act like the devil's children. Now, I'm not saying this out of not being a parent. I've raised two precious daughters who today are godly women, married to wonderful godly men because of prayer. With eight grandchildren, 
so I'm not talking out of school here. I know that painful discipline in the life of a child is necessary if they're going to be holy, if they're not going to go the way of the world. Now, the same is true for you. The Lord is going to have to discipline you, and if you respond with grumbling, the discipline is ineffective. He wants to turn you away from the wickedness of this world's entertainment. He wants to call you out to be separate unto himself. He wants you to turn off all of those things that sear your heart and cause you to not be responsive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the way you can tell if you are being unresponsive to the Holy Spirit is by your grumbling spirit. A grumbling spirit is a rebellious spirit. I know sometimes it feels good to grumble. It may taste sweet as we do it, but the end result will be devastation. Devastation in your marriage, devastation in your home, devastation at work, and devastation in your own heart and your own life. I remember when I was deeply convicted by God regarding my grumbling, and I began to confess this grumbling before the Lord. And he said, why don't you just go today without grumbling? I said, okay, Lord, I'll put a watch on my mouth and on my heart because you can grumble in your heart, you know. <laughs> and I went one day without grumbling. And I said, Lord, thank you. I didn't grumble all day. He said, well, let me now finish the work in changing your heart. And he totally removed from me the spirit of grumbling. It was a gift of his righteousness. So today, I don't grumble. When times get tough, I don't grumble. I say, Lord, I'll receive only from your hand what you choose to give me. Thank you for this very difficult situation. Now give me the courage and the wisdom to rise up and praise you and worship you because I receive this hardship as discipline from your hand. See, I, I only receive from God's hand what he gives to me. That's the covenant I made with him. Should I not receive hardship along with blessings? Every day I go to the post office to look for the mail that you will send and the support that you will send for the broadcast. And I particularly am doing that as we come now toward the end of the month. And every day I take a moment and I pray before I go to the post office. And I say, Lord Jesus, I will receive today just what you choose to give me 
in provision for the radio broadcast for Pilgrim's Progress. And so I go and I open the post office box and there are five or six letters. And I say, Lord, thank you. This is wonderful. Your people, you spoke to them and they've responded courageously and sacrificially. Thank you. And then as I open the letters and I read the letters and I I receive the gifts that you've sent, I praise God for each one. And I pray for each one who has sent something to help with this radio broadcast. And then there are the days when I go and my mailbox is empty. And you know what I do? I say, Lord Jesus, thank you that today you have given me exactly what you want me to have. I worship you and I praise you and I honor you. And I know you will provide for the radio for this month. I trust what you're doing. My eyes are upon you, Jesus. And I lift up my hands before you and I praise and worship you that today the mailbox is empty. You see, it doesn't matter whether the mailbox is full or whether it's empty. I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to praise Jesus and I'm going to worship him and I'm going to receive from his hand only that which he gives me. I'm not going to grumble. My heart is not going to go to bitterness or anger. I'm not going to turn away from Jesus regardless of what the circumstances of my life may happen to be or the circumstances of the radio broadcast. I consider it a great gift from Jesus that I can come and teach the gospel, the victory in Jesus, the love of Jesus, the peace and the joy of Jesus. I consider this a great gift from God a gift that I can come and minister to you. It is a privilege to do this. And I praise his name. I worship him for this wonderful gift. But there are times when I become very tired or I become sick. As recently, I was not able to be on the air because I'd lost my voice. Well, did I grumble and say, Lord, what are you doing? I need to be on the radio broadcast. No, I only need to be doing what Jesus tells me to do, and I only need to go as far as he leads me. So while I was sick, I was saying, Lord, I receive this sickness as discipline from your hand. I worship you, and I praise you, and I honor your name. I glorify you in the midst of my sickness. I glorify your name. I worship you, Jesus. Do you understand? I believe that Paul was right in Romans, the eighth chapter, when he said that all things work according to his will for the good of those who serve him. I trust Jesus, period. No, no caveats. I trust Jesus. I trust him in the good times and I trust him in the bad times. And for many years, I was happily married before my wife died. There were times when we were not exactly happy with each other. Things happened. Disagreements came about. Did I cut my wife off? Did I criticize her? Did I grumble against her? No. 
I lifted my hands and I praised Jesus for the gift she was in my heart. And I loved her all the more. Even though we disagreed, I loved her. I found ways to express that love to her. I didn't bite her. I didn't denigrate her. I didn't criticize her. I laid aside defensiveness. I did not have contempt for her position, and I didn't stonewall her. And we were able to walk through that disagreement and out of the prayer closet come together as one again, knowing that Jesus was standing between us, that he had first right on her heart and first right on my heart. It was not my job to keep her happy. It was my job to call her to be holy. It was her job not to keep me happy, but to call me to be holy. Please, do you understand what I'm saying to you today? If there is a grumbling in your spirit, it's time to confess that before God. It's time to repent of that before God. Well, pastor, sometimes I'm just in a bad mood. Well, you know what? A Christian does not have the right, the privilege of being in a bad mood. A bad mood means I am more concerned about myself than I am about others. I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. I'm sentimental. Those are all things that when I became a man, I had to put away. I had to let go of those things. Sometimes my heart is deeply pained. That does not give me the right to be grouchy, to be grumbling. I mean, what would you think on this radio broadcast if I came to you one day and I said, I am having a miserable day. Everything has gone wrong. I am unhappy. I am growly. Excuse me today, but I don't have anything kind to say to you. I don't have any gospel to preach to you. I'm just in a bad mood. You'd be shocked. You'd say, what has happened to Pastor Ray? And you'd know you'd better really begin to pray for me because I'm in trouble with Jesus. <laughs> I don't have the right to be depressed and discouraged. And when I begin to be discouraged, I know it's a sign I've not spent enough time with Jesus. And I'd better quickly get back into that prayer closet. And I'd better deal to the bottom with those issues. Because it's very close to walking into sin, the sin of grumbling. Now, I've given all of this at the beginning of this broadcast as an introduction to the study we're going to begin to enter into today of the book of Hosea. The word of the Lord 
came to Hosea. And this was during the time of Isaiah. He was a contemporary of Isaiah the prophet, probably the most righteous man to ever live on the earth outside of Jesus Christ and maybe Enoch. Isaiah is terrifying in his righteousness. It was also during the time of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, Hosea is not one of the major prophets. It's considered a minor prophet. But there was nothing minor about his relationship with the Lord God of heaven. And there's nothing minor about his message. The minor prophets are not called minor because of their lack of importance. The word of the Lord comes to Hosea. And in chapter 1, verse 2, he says to Hosea, Go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Basically, go marry a prostitute. Go marry somebody who is not faithful, someone who is given to sexual uncleanness because my nation Israel is given to utter uncleanness before me now please understand this is during a time of great prosperity in Israel this is a rock and roll culture this is a culture that all the good times are going this is a time when everyone is prosperous and everyone is going their own way It reminds me of America today. Donald Trump says he's going to make America great again. Well, he is improving the finances. But you know what? America will not be great again until America is good again. Until America is moral again. Until the foundation principles of righteousness have been rebuilt in the American culture, we will not be great again. And we have been told lies out of the pulpits of America for years. We're told that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that is absolutely true. But we have to very carefully define how we're using the word by faith alone. You see, the word justification means to be made holy. It translates the Greek word dikasune, which in the old covenant was to be declared righteous, but in the new covenant is to be made righteous, literally. And so, If we look at Romans, the first eight chapters, it's very clear that righteousness comes by faith. But it is not make-believe righteousness. All of our past sins are forgiven. The blood of Jesus washes and cleanses us as we are crucified with him. And we come forth as gold. We come forth as new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have the victory over all sin 
in the name of Jesus. Now, many of you believe that you can't have the victory over all sin. And when you do that, according to Hebrews 10th chapter, you are making of non-effect the blood of Jesus. You are saying that the blood of Jesus has no more power than the blood of bulls and goats, and so you must be declared righteous under the new covenant because you deny the power of the blood of Jesus. And let's be real honest. You give yourself a way out of righteousness. And you pretend that when you die, you'll suddenly be made righteous. I can show you Hebrews 9. I can show you many places in Scripture where that is utterly destroyed. If you are not made righteous before you die, you will never enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If all sin does not cease in your life, I'm not talking about honest mistakes. I'm not talking about physical infirmity. As, as uh, John Wesley describes it, I'm speaking about intentional, continued rebellion against Jesus, doing things that you know are sin against him. He has spoken to you by his spirit. He has told you, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't say that. The spirit of God has given you directions, and you have said, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. I just do it. One man who is an alcoholic says, Pastor, I've tried so hard to stop drinking. I just can't do it. And God's going to have to accept me the way I am. No, he will not accept you the way you are. Because when you say that, you are saying that the blood of Jesus has no power. Now, I come proclaiming a gospel, the real gospel of victory, where Jesus, by faith in him, infuses his grace, that divine unmerited favor that teaches us to say no to ungodliness that teaches us to be righteous before him now i don't know about you but that's such good news to my heart i don't want to walk in rebellion against jesus do you now come on be honest with me are you comfortable walking in rebellion and sin against Jesus, feasting on the things of the world? You know if your heart is cold and freezing today, and you know whether you have a spirit of grumbling in you today. Come on, be honest. Don't you want the victory in your life? Now, some of you say, preacher, you're always talking about sin, and you make Jesus out to be a hard man. Now, Jesus is not a hard man. You're the hard man. You're the hard woman. You want to hang on to your wickedness and to your sin and claim that you're following Jesus. Now, it's not Jesus who's hard. It's not God who's hard. He died on Calvary for us. He died and he supplied his blood, and the blood is the most powerful thing in all of the universe. It breaks the bondage of sin in every heart. It sets us free. It, it releases us from captivity. This is an awesome message of wonderful, positive victory in Jesus Christ. Don't tell me. Come on. Don't tell me I have to keep sinning. In other words, the devil can keep 
raping my soul. He can keep ravishing me. Jesus is not going to protect me and destroy the power of the devil in my life. I simply testify today. Jesus has broken the power of sin in my life by the blood he shed on Calvary's tree. He's washed me. He's made me clean. I rejoice in this. Now, Hosea is told to go marry this promiscuous woman. And he goes, he does not grumble. He does not complain. Now, hey, be clear with me. We have only one life. And here's a single man who's being told to marry an unbeliever, a wicked woman. And God's telling him to do that. And he doesn't grumble about it. Did Abraham grumble when he was told to take Isaac and offer him on that mount of sacrifice? No, he did not grumble. Instead, he reasoned in his heart. According to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, he reasoned in his heart and in his mind. And he said, this is the son of promise. And if I'm to offer Isaac on the altar, I will do it. But God then will resurrect him from the dead because this is the son of promise. He did not grumble. He rested in the God of heaven and strengthened his faith in the Lord God of heaven. So Hosea does not grumble. Instead, he goes and he marries Gomer. And she conceives and she gives birth to a son. And the Lord said to him, Now name this son Jezreel. For Jezreel means God plants, God sows. So now he's planted Jezreel. An offspring of God. And then he gives this horrible news. I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. In other words, God is going to judge Israel because they will not stop grumbling They will not stop their fornication. They will not turn aside from the entertainment of the nations. All they want is prosperity, money, lifestyle. They will not sacrifice themselves for the temple services. They will not sacrifice themselves for the God of heaven. They have wicked hearts. They have the Baal calves. They worship the Baal gods money, prestige, power, wickedness, darkness. These ancient gods are once more raising their heads in the world's culture and in America. In Dubai, a great arch has been erected a pagan arch to a pagan god for a world conference of world leaders. 
the whole world is being led astray. Utter wickedness. Pedophilia. Reports are increasingly growing that describe the royals of Britain and the top leaders in our nation, congressmen, senators, involved in a pedophile ring. It is horrendous when we begin to look closely and pull the curtain back and see the wickedness of the progressive leftists. How they want to undercut America. It's tragic. He did not grumble. He goes to his wife again and she once more conceives and she gives birth to a daughter and the Lord said name this daughter not loved no compassion not loved the time will come in a sinner's life when the Lord God of heaven will say enough you've pushed me over the edge and I am letting you go and now begins the most painful description in all of scriptures of a divorce as God divorces Israel and then as Assyria comes and sweeps Israel away into captivity and destroys them as a nation. Why? Because God divorced them and they divorced God. This daughter, he says, I will have compassion on the house of Judah I will deliver them by the Lord their God. I will not deliver them by bow, sword, or war, or by horse or cavalry. In other words, I'm going to deliver Judah in a spectacular act of mercy and grace. And he did that under Jehoshaphat, where over 100,000 soldiers were slain in one night by an angel. Now, after Gomer had weaned, not loved, or no compassion, she gave birth to a son. And they were to name that son, not my people. Literally, You are no longer my people. I divorce you. I can't think of anything more terrifying than for God to speak to a man or woman today and say, because you insist on sinning, you may continue your religious rituals, but I am leaving you. I am divorcing you. Now, if you read carefully Revelation 2 and 3, you find messages to seven churches. And in those churches, God gives very strict rebuke. And he says, if you do not listen, I will take the lampstand from among you. 
In other words, I will desert your church. I will divorce your church. Many of you listening to this broadcast today are going to churches that have been divorced by God. There is no longer Holy Spirit presence in that church. Instead, there is the sound of the band and the orchestra, the jokes, the strobe lights, the entertainment. But there is no holiness. There's no conviction of sin. In fact, your preacher doesn't talk about sin, and he doesn't speak in ways that convict you of your sin. Instead, he gives these cutesy little 15-minute, 20-minute max messages. He doesn't teach you the word. He teaches you inspiration. You can go to the Kennedy Center and get that. Go to the opera and cry a little and laugh a little and walk out and say, wow, what a great show. And some of you walk out of church and you say, what a great show that was today. We have a wonderful preacher. But the lampstand of God has been removed because there's no holiness there. I've attended many of these churches. I attended Robert Schuller's Crystal Cathedral. And I was awed by the beauty of that glass cathedral in Anaheim, California, by the beautiful water fountains down the center aisles, the spectacular organ. The service just flowed like like milk and honey. positive message but all I could do was sit there and weep because there was no Holy Spirit presence in the house and today the church is gone it was blown away it's now owned by the Roman Catholics it was lost for the gospel it was lost because the presence of God left them and they ended up squabbling and fighting and struggling with the family members over who was going to have the rulership. It was obvious the presence of God had utterly deserted them. I've been to many churches like this where the presence of God is simply not there. So this baby boy was called, You Do Not Belong to Me. You do not belong to me, and I will no longer belong to you. (laughs) Then in chapter 2, call your brothers my people, my people. The heart of God is crushed because he wants to call them his people, but he has to divorce them. But we're going to deal with that this week. The painful story of Gomer and the painful story of God's divorcing Israel. I wonder, though, Are you fearful that God has left you? Are you ready to turn back to him? 
Are you willing to go after God? If you are, and you'd like to talk with me and let me pray with you, call 877-534-0780. Again, that phone number is 877-534-0780. We have a few minutes. I'd be happy to take a call. I'd be happy to pray with you. Are you afraid God has left you? Do you need to repent? How do you stand today with Jesus? Are you afraid? Do you fear God? Do you recognize where you stand today? Or are you self-assured and full of grumbling and pride and arrogance before God? Oh, I rejoice in those of you today who have gained the victory in the blood of Jesus Christ and who are humble of heart, who weep with me over the condition of America and over Washington, D.C., But I know many of you who listen are still cold of heart. You know the fire of God is not in your heart. You don't spend hours on your face before him. You don't spend hours reading the word every day. You're so busy. You have everything that you have to be responsible for. You have everything you have to do. And so you're just cranking and doing what you think you have to do. And you're dead in your spirit. I want you to come alive. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with courage and with confidence and no grumbling. I want you to walk clean before God. He's made all the provision for us to be forgiven of our sins and to walk clean before Him, having the victory over every besetting sin. I want you to walk in the sunshine of Jesus' love. I want you to choose to give up your grumbling spirit, your anger, your bitterness. Nothing is so calculated to destroy your relationship with God as a bitter, grumbling spirit. And please, may I say this? A bitter, grumbling spirit is sin. And it will keep you out of heaven's gate. It will prevent you from entering into the presence of Jesus. Your rebellion against authority, your rebellion against anybody who tries to tell you anything about what you need to be doing. Oh, that rebellion and that arrogance rises up so quickly in the heart of man and woman and child. So how is it with you and Jesus today? Do you want to call? I'd love to pray with you. And tomorrow I'll try to open the phone lines much earlier. Give you an opportunity to call. Let's pray together. Let's talk together. 
We're going to study Hosea probably all week. Eight seven seven five three four zero seven eight zero. My name is Pastor Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Please go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Lots of changes are coming to our webpage. A, a wonderful Christian brother has been completely redesigning this webpage making it much easier to find the material that you need to find for your help and for your growth in Jesus. So I urge you to, to go and look at the videos, look at the, the many podcasts, the messages. I invite you to go to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com also invite you to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. Do you need to be encouraged in this walk with Jesus to have victory over your grumbling, over bitterness in your heart? Some of you think, I'm entitled to my anger and my bitterness. I was mistreated. Well, for how long do you want to be bitter and grumble? How long before you're willing to say, you know what? It's not hurting that person. It's hurting me. I'm, I'm poisoning the well of my heart. You can choose to forgive. You can choose to let it go. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you can choose to let go of your grumbling and your bitterness and your anger. You will not be free until you do this. It's time to have a a decree of no grumbling. No more grumbling. No more feeling sorry for myself. No more playing victim. No more playing entitled. It's time to receive the wonderful, wonderful gift of Jesus and be made whole be washed, be cleansed, be healed. May I please, may I pray with you. Lord Jesus, I bring my brothers and sisters before your throne today. And I say, oh Lord, you see the heart of every person listening to this broadcast You know whether they are compromising with darkness. You know where they are walking in league with the devil. You know where they are grumbling in their hearts, where they have a bitter spirit and they feel so rejected and so angry. Life is not treating them like they expect to be treated. They are not getting the respect they think they're owed. Lord, would you come today and heal their heart? Lord, would you come today and put an end to all grumbling in your people? Lord, would you come today and minister by your blood, healing your people, restoring them? Oh, Lord, 
so many are willing to just practice the culture of their religion, but they're not they're not filled with your spirit. They're not filled with your presence. They, they walk in the bitterness of their hearts, the pride and the, the arrogance of their heart, thinking they can dip into every wicked thing, and it's okay. Lord, would you come and rescue your people? Would you come and teach America once more the first principles of freedom and liberty and morality lord would you come and teach us how to be christians again real christians mighty god have mercy on america today i pray in your holy name amen you've been listening to pilgrim's progress i'm going to be praying before between now and tomorrow that the holy spirit will come with healing in your heart Invite a friend to listen with you tomorrow. This is Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I love you, my brother, my sister. Believe me, Jesus loves you, and he will heal you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.